holy shit, you guys, holy shit. I never thought in my life that I would be making this episode. Welcome back to Unwatchable. My name is Chloe Rodriguez. I am your host and I am so excited to talk to you guys about the Animaniacs Hulu reboot. Uh, I, I'm just going to jump right into it because I'm so excited to talk about this. For a little bit of background on me, I was born in 1995. I did not have cable until I was 13 years old. And in that time, I mainly watched Kids WB. And the reigning show, the ultimate characters at the time that I was a child, could be found in the show Animaniacs. Uh, Animaniacs was an animated series that ran from 1993 to 1998 originally. However, they were played in syndication like mad. They were always on the WB. And not only that, but they were later moved to Nicktoons until 2004. Uh, So this show was on for the majority of my childhood Um, It also came out on DVD when I was in sixth grade, and I purchased every single DVD that was available. I now own the entire original series on DVD, so don't mess with me. I know my Animaniacs trivia. A couple of years ago, the series was available on Netflix. It is now available on Hulu. So I have pretty much been watching Animaniacs uh, since birth. The obsession never really died for me. I also had the great pleasure of meeting Rob Paulson at an event in Los Angeles when I was 19, and I got to tell him how much the show means to me. I got to get a picture with him. I got something signed by him. Uh, If you guys are unfamiliar with Rob Paulson, he is one of the most prolific voiceover artists of our generation. Uh, On Animaniacs, he voiced Yakko Warner, uh, Dr. Otto Scratch and Sniff, and Pinky from Pinky and the Brain, just to name a few things that he's done on that show. This is a long-standing history between me and a show that went off the air 22 years ago. And since then, I have been hungry. Nay, starving. Nay, ravenous. For more Animaniacs content. And sure, there was the 1999 direct-to-video animated musical comedy film called Wacko's Wish, and yes, I did think it was highly amusing, and absolutely I rented it continuously from the VHS video village that was a mere two blocks from my house consistently from its release in 1999 to the time that that video village ultimately went out of business in 2002. But that was just not enough for me. And I dreamed that one day, a digital streaming titan would see this series and choose to bring it back so that I could enjoy one more song, one more sketch, one more wheel of morality. That's right, you guys. In 1999, at the tender age of four, I not only invented the streaming service and the inception of Hulu, I also predicted the rampant era of nostalgic reboots and remakes that would take a hold of our entertainment industry and the collapse of original content in Hollywood. But we're not here today to talk about my history as a child prodigy. We're here to look 
at the Hulu reboot of Animaniacs. How is it similar to the original series? In what ways has it been modernized? And most importantly, is it watchable or unwatchable? Let's dive right in. So there's going to be a couple of parts to this analysis. First, I'm going to start off talking a little bit about the original iteration of the show, just to refresh everybody's memory or give a little bit of background to people who might not be as familiar with the original series. Uh, then I'm going to be talking a little bit about how we got to this reboot and how the production was a little bit different. And then I'm going to be talking specifically about episodes of the remake things that I thought were really standout, things that I didn't think were good at all. And in this portion of the episode, I'm really going to be segmenting things into the Warner Brothers and Pinky and the Brain. If you guys are familiar with the original run of the show, you'll know that Animaniacs was really more of a variety sketch series. And while the Warners were really the main characters and the hosts of Animaniacs, um, there was really a lot of focus on other segments. You had the Good Feathers, you had Rita and Runt, uh, Mindy and Buttons, you had those stupid-ass hippos that barely made an appearance because nobody liked them, and then, of course, you had the most popular segment to come out of Animaniacs, Pinky and the Brain. However, the biggest change made between then and now is that in the reboot, we've kind of axed all of those characters. None of them really make an appearance in this iteration of the show. I will get to that later. Um, and you're really only seeing segments that focus on the Warner siblings and Pinky and the Brain. So that's how this episode is broken down. And without further ado, let's get into a recap of the original series. The original release of Animaniacs ran from September 13th, 1993 to November 14th, 1998. It was originally created for the Fox Kids block before it moved to Kids WB in 1995, and this is really where it saw its popularity take off. Now, to give a little bit of background for people who might not be as familiar with how this worked, um, this was kind of back in the day before cable had really taken over as, like, the main way people watch television. So what I mean by that is on cable, you have channels that are segmented into different niches. So, for example, you have Cartoon Network. This is an all-cartoon station. You have Disney Channel. That's for children. You have Playhouse Disney, which was their channel for preschool children. And then you had other channels that were for adults, like you had uh, FX, Food Network, uh, Comedy Central. All of these cable channels kind of had their own demographic. But in the 90s, cable was still very much considered a luxury. Not every single person had this, and a lot of people were left watching public television that included mainly network. And a way that they had to work around this was that different networks had their own sections of programming throughout the day. This was referred to as a programming block. For example, during the day on the WB, there was a children's programming block called Kids WB. Kids WB aired during the day, and it would show kids-based shows like Pokemon or... Uh, Animaniacs, or Hysteria, or Pinky and the Brain, or Batman Beyond. There was an Ozzy and Drix animated series that aired on WB for a while based off of the 
quote-unquote hit movie, Osmosis Jones? Question mark? I could get into that on a whole different episode. But that's what a programming block was. It was a way for a network to be able to segment a certain amount of time to appeal to separate demographics and to make sure that they were airing appropriate content for whatever age group would be most likely watching at that time. There were a lot of Saturday morning programming blocks for kids that would take shows otherwise aired on cable television, and for kids like me who didn't have cable, this would be your only time to experience a cable show. For example, on ABC, they had Kids Saturday Mornings, and that's when I would see typically Disney-produced shows like uh, Recess or Doug or Pepper Ann. On the weekdays, these children blocks would usually end around 4 to 5 when adults were typically coming home from work, and that's when you would transition into, you know, the classic WB that was airing things like uh, The Wayans Brothers or 7th Heaven or Bernie Mac, stuff like that. That's a brief background of children's programming blocks at the time, and Animaniacs was designed to fill one of those programming blocks. Not only am I fascinated by this, but I also just think it's very important to point out the difference between how children were watching shows at the time versus how children are watching shows now. I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that this initial iteration of Animaniacs was designed specifically to air during a children's block of programming, whereas the new reboot is available at all hours of the day, at all times, on Hulu, a streaming platform that theoretically anyone of any age could access. I think that's an important thing to acknowledge because it definitely changes who specifically is being targeted by the show. Anyway, Animaniacs was originally created by Tom Roger, and it was one of the WB animated series that was produced by Steven Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment, as well as Tiny Toon Adventures and Freakazoid. Now, there's a lot of reasons that I love Animaniacs so much. Uh, For starters, I love the music. This series doled out all kinds of iconic songs, uh, most notably the song that Yakko Warner sings where he recites uh, every country at that time in the world. Wacko has a song where he recites all of the state capitals. Dot Warner kind of has her own iconic song called I'm Cute. There's a whole song about Magellan and his botched exploration of the world. There's a song called I'm Mad, where all three of the Warners just kind of bicker like siblings do, and Dr. Scratch and Sniff is kind of their pseudo-parent in the song. Music was so important in this show. Uh, Not only was it scored by a live orchestra, they had a freaking Broadway performer on the show. They had uh, Bernadette Peters playing Rita in the short series Rita and Runt, where a stray cat and a stray dog are friends, um... They had a lot of musical parodies in The Good Feathers. They had a whole parody of West Side Story. They had a Fiddler on the Roof parody. The show was also very educational, as you could tell by some of those examples that I gave you of some famous songs. And there was a little bit of something in it for everybody. If you were more into kind of science fiction-y type of shows, you had Pinky and the Brain. If you're really into slapstick and just off-the-wall comedy, you had segments with the Warners. If you're looking for something that's more classically animated, 
less to do with dialogue and more to do with visual comedy. Then you had a segment like Mindy and Buttons with minimal dialogue, but a whole lot of action. And on top of all of that, it had this element of pop culture references and meta fourth wall breaking, um, something that wasn't super popular at the time, especially in children's programming. When was the last time you saw an episode of Spongebob where Spongebob and Patrick turn to the camera and start singing a song about how they know they're in a television show? Uh, really never. The whole meta portion of the show and pop culture segments specifically are something that I'm really going to touch on when we get to the reboot, but it's a part of the tone of the show that I really think is important to understand. The whole concept of the Warners specifically are that they were cartoons that were drawn in the 1930s back when black and white animation was the style and that they were so insane and so off-the-wall annoying that they actually drove the original animator who created them insane, and their films were nonsensical, and thusly, they were thrown into the famous Warner Brothers studio water tower and forced to live inside of it until 1993 when they escaped. You have characters like the original chairman of the board, Thaddeus Plotz, who assigns them to the Lot's psychiatrist, Dr. Otto Scratch and Sniff. He serves as kind of their guardian, so to speak. So obviously, even the original pitch for the show is a reference to the fact that these people are animated characters for the Warner Brothers animation studio. It is very meta. And obviously, there's a ton of references to actors who were popular at this time. Uh, some of them I don't even really understand because I was even too young to get the reference then as a kid growing up in the 90s. Uh, they talk a lot about Don Knotts. They do a whole segment where they go and bother the cast of Friends. Uh, really everything revolves around Warner Brothers properties that were specific to the 1990s. And because of this, there's really this overarching air that Animaniacs was not really written specifically for children. It was also written with a lot of adult humor and a lot of pop culture references that only adults at the time would get. Uh, there's also a lot of sexual innuendo on the show, uh, often kind of referenced by the fact that Yakko Warner will send a big kiss flying off directly to the audience and say, good night, everybody. This is kind of their, you know, way of acknowledging that that was an adult joke, everybody. There were also characters like Hello Nurse and Minerva Mink that were specifically designed to be extremely sexual and just really voluptuous and, like, sexually drawn, if that's even a good way to describe a cartoon. They were sexually drawn. I feel like that's pretty much everything that you need to know about the original Animaniacs series before we get into my thoughts on the reboot. Oh shit, how could I not even mention Slappy Squirrel? Slappy Squirrel was like my favorite character from the original show. Slappy Squirrel is like <laughs> this old curmudgeonly like former television and movie star who's since just be kind of become like this old Jewish squirrel who lives in a tree with her nephew. It, it's weird. It's it's very hard to describe, but if you guys have not seen a Slappy Squirrel segment, you 
definitely need to look it up because she's my boo. Most of the original show was written by sketch comedy writers. People like Paul Rugg, uh, Sherry Stoner, or Deanna Oliver, who you can still catch writing and directing shows at the Groundlings, all had a background in sketch comedy. There were also writers who had an extensive background in animation, such as Peter Hastings and the original Animaniacs composer Randy Rogel. Now, with that very extensive history behind us, let us move forward to the Animaniacs of today. I think the original rumors of Animaniacs getting a streaming service reboot came about around 2016, uh, but nothing was confirmed until December of 2018. It was confirmed that Animaniacs would be returning with the original vocal cast. Now, there's a lot of reasons that this show might be brought back. Uh, Not only are reboots of popular, nostalgic 90s series kind of the in-trend right now, obviously, but I think a big thing that we have to look at is what the vocal cast has been doing since the original show went off the air. Um, Tress McNeil, who plays Dot, Jess Harnell, who plays Wacko Warner, and Rob Paulson, who plays Yakko Warner have all been continuing to do voiceover work. The three of them are huge voiceover artists, even now, in an era when a lot of voiceover jobs are being given to big-name celebrities. Voiceover artists have also had a big rise in popularity for people who are big fans of animated shows. Um, I'm someone who loves animation, and if I really love a show, I always take a moment to look up exactly who does the voiceover work for the characters that I really, really love. Um, I think the rise in popularity for conventions like Comic-Con have also put voiceover actors in the spotlight. While back in the 80s and 90s, voiceover actors were generally anonymous, now we can go to conventions and meet them in person and get to know the personality behind the voice. And I think one of the biggest examples of this is Rob Paulson's podcast, Talking Tunes. In his Talking Tunes podcast, he talks with a lot of people in the voiceover industry who he has worked with before, and this podcast is huge. This also led to him doing a lot of live podcast tapings and selling a lot of tickets for that. And because he's still really good friends with Tress McNeil and Jess Harnell, this led to a lot of live Animaniacs reunions. The popularity of that grew, and it turned into kind of an Animaniacs musical tour with the three original voice actors and Randy Rogel, the original composer of the Animaniacs songs. I think this really helped to prove that there was still a audience for Animaniacs and that people still wanted more. It was still a financially viable intellectual property. And people call for reunions of shows all the time. Bring back Freakazoid. Bring back Coconut Fred's Fruit Salad Island, which incidentally is a real show that existed. I'm pretty sure if you guys remember Coconut Fred's Fruit Salad Island, please, please contact me and let me know uh, that you remember it too, because I really need some confirmation that it wasn't just a fever dream. Anyway, you can ask for a show to be brought back all the time, but if you don't have the fiscal proof that it is financially viable, most likely it's never going to be resurrected. 
But these live shows did that. They proved that not only was Animaniacs still a property that people would pay money to see, but that the original three vocalists for that show were essential to its success, and therefore were necessary to include in any reboots or remakes going forward. So now, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the new 2020 version of Animaniacs. Uh, This was put forward into the universe by the streaming platform Hulu on November 20th of this year, the year of our Lord, 2020. Ugh, something, something happening in the year 2020? What could possibly go wrong? Now, I'll admit, I was very skeptical to watch this reboot. Um, I mean, as you heard in the introduction, I am very passionate about this show, and I have a lot of feelings about its original run. And I'm generally very wary of reboots and remakes in general. Uh, I'm typically someone who believes that if something was good, we should just let it die. Sometimes the best thing you can do is put a show out of its misery before it goes downhill and becomes a shell of what it once was. Uh, I talk a lot about this in my When It Became Unwatchable series. And in general, I would much rather see a show end while it's still in its peak before it has a chance to crumble uh, than to see it be dragged on and on and on forever uh, until all the writers just run out of ideas and jokes. And typically, I kind of feel like reboots are kind of the reanimation of a corpse that never should have been. So uh, needless to say, I wasn't really counting down the days until this show came out, uh, but I knew that I would have to watch it because I would have to make an episode for you guys, because uh, if I didn't, who am I? I could not say that I was a podcaster if I didn't review the reboot to my favorite childhood show. So here we are. I did this for you. I watched all 13 episodes on Hulu, and here is my review. This was a mixed bag for me. Um, In some ways, it was a lot better than I expected, and in some ways, it was exactly as bad as I expected. Uh, I don't really know how to explain that for you, other than giving specific episodes as examples. Now, much like the original series, each episode of Animaniacs has been split into two to three segments. In the original series of Animaniacs, every episode was split into about three different sketches with maybe little tiny vignettes going on in between each sketch. It was very rare that a single sketch would take up an entire episode. It did happen occasionally. Uh, For example, there was the Hooray for North Hollywood episode in the fifth season. That one was actually a two-part sketch that was extended into two episodes. But for the most part, everything is separated into very short segments. And similarly, this reboot was split into about three sketches or segments for each episode, uh, generally starting with a segment between the Warner siblings, then going into a sketch with Pinky and the Brain, and then wrapping up with a shorter sketch between the Warner siblings once more. Let's start with the segments between the Warner siblings, because these were the most, uh, 
polarizing to me, I would say. Uh, some of them were very good, uh, almost as good as some of the original episodes I've seen, and some of them were just awful. Some of them were definitely unwatchable. I won't talk about every single sketch, I'll only talk about the ones that were either really good or really bad. Everything else you can kind of just consider to be middle of the road. Um, the first episode was actually a pretty strong uh, kickstart to the reboot, I thought. It starts off with a Jurassic Park-style parody of Steven Spielberg kind of reintroducing the Animaniacs, and I thought that this was kind of good because it worked on multiple levels. Uh, one, as a reference to Steven Spielberg producing the original iteration of the show. Uh, two, because Jurassic World is still kind of relevant. I mean, they're still making more movies, so it does actually keep up with the times. And third, because in a way, it is also referencing the element of reboots, because while the original version of Jurassic Park came out in the 90s, uh, now there's like a reboot of the spin-off series, Jurassic World, much like there is this reboot of Animaniacs. So I actually thought that that was a really nice kind of multifaceted way to reintroduce us to the Warner siblings as characters. Now the whole first episode is kind of them uh, talking about how they are rebooted and kind of a catch-up on the last 22 years that they have been off the air. I actually really liked the songs in this first episode. First you have the catch-up song where they talk about how things have changed in the past 22 years, mainly focusing on the rise of the internet era, of course. Um, but then you get to this really funny part in the middle where they talk about how this was written in 2018, and since the show is airing two years later, they kind of make predictions for what has happened in the two years in between. I thought that was really clever and really funny. They also round out the episode with a song about reboots, which is pretty catchy. And it ends with talking about how, you know, of course, it's easy for them to make fun of reboots when they themselves are reboots and how that's hypocritical or whatever, but they made a lot of money, so it's okay. It's very tongue-in-cheek. I really liked it. This first episode is one that I would definitely re-watch because overall, I thought that the tone was there. It was very tongue-in-cheek. It was very uh, meta. It was very like sarcastic and satirical. And that's what I'm looking for in an episode of Animaniacs. That's how the original show was. It kind of felt good to hear the theme song again and to hear the vocal talent again. Um, I thought that the new animation was generally pretty good. It's obviously digital, whereas before, I believe the original Animaniacs was done with traditional cell animation, so it's going to look very different. Um, I tried not to be too nitpicky and acknowledge the fact that animation styles have changed. I liked that the character designs were still relatively the same. They looked like the original Animaniacs that I fell in love with. The sound of the voices was a little bit different. Personally, to me, I did not mind that at all. Uh, Wacko Warner sounds pretty much the same, in my opinion. Uh, Dot's voice is a little bit lower, but it wasn't so noticeably bad that it took me out of it. 
Um, and I do think it's worth acknowledging that when it comes to Yakko Warner, his speaking voice is very similar. However, his singing voice is very different. When it comes to the three of them singing together, it's very hard to hear him. He sings either extremely high or extremely low. And this is not a complaint to me. I think it's important to acknowledge the fact that a couple of years ago, Rob Paulson was actually diagnosed with throat cancer, and he had to go through an extremely aggressive cancer treatment. Recovery was super difficult. He wasn't sure if he was going to be able to do the voices that he used to be able to do. Um, Certainly didn't know if he was going to be able to sing as well as he could before. And he has since obviously survived that cancer and overcome it, but that does mean that he has to adjust the way that he sings from now on. Uh, It really affects his range and the techniques that he has to do in order to hit certain notes. And so there is an obvious adjustment that you hear sometimes in Yakko's singing voice, but I think that it's incredible that he has even been able to bounce back from that at all. And it's not, it's not anything that really takes me out of it, if I'm being completely honest. That being said, there's a lot of sketches that are pretty reminiscent of something that you would have found in the older series. There is Matherpiece Theater that I, was, I thought was very funny, where Dot teaches a math lesson in this like very dramatic, like old movie style. There's an episode called Warner She Wrote where they try to solve like a dog napping on the train in like a murder mystery type of episode. It's very reminiscent of the Hercule Yakko episode that they had in the original series. But there were also some good episodes that weren't really reminiscent of the original show and yet I still really enjoyed them. Uh, Possibly my favorite episode was called Good Warner Hunting. And it kind of goes along with that classic Warner siblings sketch where, you know, they'll basically just annoy the shit out of anybody who tries to mess with them. Uh, However, this one had the (laughs) added element that, like, they're being stalked by a deranged hunter who's obsessed with collecting uh, every character from the original Animaniacs series. And that kind of serves as an explanation as to, like, what happened to those old characters and why they're not on the show. And then it turns out that that character is actually Chicken Boo, who was an old character from the original show. And it's just very like, it's kind of like up its own ass, but like in a good way. It's very hard to explain, but I kind of loved it. Now, even though I loved that sketch, it does shine a spotlight on something that is consistent throughout the entire reboot series. And it's something that I think can be kind of off-putting to the audience. And that is the Warners' motivation. In the original series, we see the Warners acting kind of childlike, and mainly the reason that they start to bother people and harass people is in retaliation. For example, in the episode Broadcast Nuisance, they're trying to get back at a news anchor who was just super rude to them for no reason. Pretty much that is the reason that they set their sights on anybody. It's that person usually is rude to them first. However, in this reboot, every reason for everything is just kind of meta. In the second episode of the show, there's a sketch where they are competing in this Olympic type event with this Olympiad and just kind of bothering him 
for no reason. And the reason given is that they're just bothering him because that's what you do in Warner Brothers cartoons. In this hunting episode, uh, he is hunting them because they are cartoons. The motivation for everything is pretty much because it's a TV show. Uh, and I don't really buy that as an audience member. For some of these sketches, I was kind of, uh, reimagining or rewriting them in my head, uh, the way that I thought they might have been written in the original version of the show. Uh, for example, in this hunting episode, uh, the hunter might be hunting them because he mistakes them for a specific animal. There's kind of this ongoing joke throughout the series that they're kind of unidentifiable. No one really knows what kind of animal they are or if they're supposed to be an animal. Uh, and I would think that this would be the reason that should be given for a hunter hunting them. Maybe he thinks that they're all wild dogs or something like that. Sometimes there's not even a motivation given for why the Warners are doing what they're doing. Uh, there's, in episode nine, there's a sketch where they just kind of end up on like a Fox News type of pundit show and just start getting on the host's nerves and there's no really, there's there's not a real motivation or reason behind it. They're just kind of doing it just because. And it's almost like the implication is because they don't agree with the politics that are being put up. And that kind of leads me to the worst part of the Animaniacs reboot. The thing that truly makes the unwatchable episodes really unwatchable. And that is the political commentary. Now you guys know that I'm not a huge fan of political commentary in general, just because I think that it gets very old very quickly. Now make no mistake, Unwatchable is not a Trump-supporting podcast in any way, shape, or form. However, we support good original comedy on this show. And Trump jokes have been so overplayed and just so just dug into the ground in the past four years that it's hard to write any that are truly original. Now, the original version of Animaniacs did make some political jokes. I mean, they even featured <laughs> Bill Clinton playing the saxophone in their original theme song. I don't have a problem with them touching on things like that in general. However, it's the way that they do it. I could not put out this episode if I didn't talk about one of the worst sketches I have ever seen in my life, not just on Animaniacs, but just throughout the history of sketch comedy. And that can be found in the fourth episode of the Animaniacs reboot. It is the first sketch that we see in this episode, and it's called Bun Control. Now, essentially what this episode intends to do is satire the gun control issues in the United States. It's a very, very thinly veiled satire. Again, I don't have a problem with it as a concept. But the execution of it is so bad that you could not pay me any amount of money in the world to make me watch that episode again. Essentially, this shady guy, like, moves in next to the Warners and 
convinces them to buy bunnies from him and then the bunnies just like multiply throughout the studio and take over the whole studio and there's all kinds of bad bunny puns that are like we need to get better bun control and shit like that my problem with this is that bunnies make absolutely no sense as like an allegorical symbol for guns And the problem with gun control in America isn't that guns are multiplying at an alarming rate. I think a better way to use bunnies to make a political statement would be if you were satirizing something like overpopulation. But they make no sense in this context. Not only that, but the sketch itself just isn't funny. There's no explanation for who this character is supposed to be, why he wants everybody to have bunnies, or why the Warners even really care that the bunnies are taking over the studio. Another painful example of this happens in the 12th episode, in the third sketch in the episode called Manny Manspreader, where the Warners have to battle a monster manspreader whose lack of personal space really bothers them for some reason. This one wasn't as atrocious as the bun control episode. It was just mainly boring and didn't really seem like it made any sense to have in the show. It's also not really topical for 2020. I think when this was written in 2018, manspreading was more of a buzzword, whereas now in 2020, it's just been used so much as the punchline of a joke that most people don't even really take it seriously, and so many other more important feminist issues have come to pass in the past two years, such as the Me Too movement. So by comparison, manspreading just doesn't seem like a worthy cause to really parody anymore. And just to be fair, I would like to point out a political sketch that I actually did think worked and was very funny, and that was found in episode 10. It was the first sketch of that episode, and it was called Anime Niet. In this episode, the Warners find out that they are being bugged by the Russians and discover a bootleg version of their show, so they go to Russia to put a stop to it. I actually thought this was a very funny episode. The Russian version of their show was really funny. There's also, like, this Russian song that's, like, a parody of Wacko's state capital song. I thought that was really funny. And even though it's an obvious reference to Russian interference in the United States 2016 election, it wasn't, like, something that banged you over the head with it. This was an example of them doing satire in a way that was relevant to their show and kept in the tone of the show and was actually funny. So that when you do get to the end of that sketch where there's like kind of a ha-ha, like, see what we did there moment, uh, it feels well-earned. I also don't mind that they include Putin in this episode because there were plenty examples in the first series where they mentioned uh, political figures and parodied celebrities of the time. I don't mind things like this so long as it's keeping in the tone of the original series, and this episode definitely did that. There's obviously parts of this show that they wanted to modernize for this generation. Uh, The theme song has been changed to include a line about, now we are gender balanced, we're pronoun neutral, Uh, we have an ethnically diverse cast, which is 
very funny because like 90% of the cast is animals anyway. And they really updated Dot's character. Now she's not just the cute little sister. Uh, in the theme song, they don't say Dot is cute anymore. They say Dot has wit. Everyone kind of has their own standard for what is too politically correct. What is so politically correct and so politically progressive that it earns an eye roll from your audience? Uh, that part didn't really bother me because it didn't really change Dot as a character. Uh, Dot was always really witty, and in the show, there's still a lot of talk about her caring about her appearance and still being very cute, but they also choose to highlight the fact that she's also very sarcastic and also very loud and obnoxious, just like her brothers, and this is in keeping with her character from the original show. So I had no problem with them wanting to highlight another element of this character. That doesn't bother me. I do think what is lacking in the Warner segments uh, is the music. I love that they kept with the original idea of the show and they had a live orchestra used to score it. However, when it comes to original comedy songs, I really felt that the show fell flat. I think they used their two best songs in the first episode. That's the reboot song and the catch-up song that I touched up on earlier. There is a good song in the last episode where Dot sings through all of the first ladies in history. But other than that, there weren't any original songs in this reboot that really stood out to me. There's an episode where they do like a rap about the French Revolution, and there's an episode where they do a whole song about Dot having a zit, which that one I really didn't like in general. There is an episode called Here Comes Treble, uh, where the Warners kind of butt heads with the musical conductor of the show. Uh, but again, that's kind of an example of that negative element of the reboot, where everything is motivated by being meta. Uh, instead of just butting heads with a general music conductor, it has to be the music conductor who's scoring the show that we're watching right now. I just think that they rely on those fourth wall breaking jokes way too much, so I can't really give that episode props for its music. Oh my god, and I can't believe I didn't even mention this episode. In episode 6, the first sketch is called The Cutening. Oh my god, and Dot eats this cupcake and turns into this, like, super cute kawaii type of, like, animated character, and then turns everyone else, like, into that super cute kawaii style of animation. Oh, and it's just so bad. It's not funny at all. And it's just super cringy. Like they're trying to be relevant, but it's not really like done correctly. And oh my God, I can't even talk about how much I hated that episode. As you can see, there's some episodes that I really, really hate. And then there's some episodes that I absolutely love. So it's really, really hard for me to formulate my exact opinion about the Warner sketches. However, I think across the board, the strongest part of the Animaniacs reboot is Pinky and the Brain. The problem with the Warner siblings is that those sketches are very specific to their era, because everything in a Warner siblings sketch is about uh, pop culture or political references. They're very much specific to their era, and therefore, when a show is written two years ahead of its release, they can very easily come across as dated. However, Pinky and the Brain 
can be written in any era at any time. All you need is the element of two mice, one is dumb, one is smart, and they're trying to take over the world. That's it. That's all you need. And I actually thought some of these episodes were even better than the original. Because we have such advanced technology and, you know, this is the digital era and everything is about the internet and being digital, you have so much material to work with. There's this great Pinky and the Brain sketch in the first episode where Brain tries to create this, like, hypnotic meme and use that to take over the world. And in that way, they're also kind of satirizing the way that social media has taken a hold of us and the way that our phones kind of, you know, control our brains. There's an episode where they break into the NSA to, like, retrieve a phone message. Uh, that's really, really funny. He makes a self-driving car in one episode. There's just, like, so much material that you have with modern day technology and they really just use it to its fullest and not every episode is about modern technology i mean there's an episode that's set in medieval times but i feel like the concept for the show is just so timeless and i could pretty much go through any episode of pinky and the brain in this list of episodes and each and every one of them is amazing i I don't think there's a single episode of Pinky and the Brain that wasn't funny and wasn't well done. To me, this is really where the reboot shines, and I'm so glad that they decided to bring these characters back. I know that they cut every other character in the show, but keeping Pinky and the Brain was just a slam fucking dunk. There's not much else that I can say about that because I literally have no negative things to say about the Pinky and the Brain uh, portion of this reboot. I just highly, highly, highly recommend it. If you don't want to watch the Warner Brothers segments, at least watch the Pinky and the Brain segments. Now, before I go into my overall rating for the show, I think it's worth mentioning a couple of one-off segments and just a couple of random things that I saw in this reboot. Uh, first of all, for some reason, there was a very big focus on Ralph, the security guard. I mean, he was in the original show, but I just think it's weird that instead of having Dr. Scratch and Sniff there for a lot of it, they just chose to have Ralph the guard. There is a super cool sketch that's told entirely from the security footage on like Ralph's security camera, and I think that's really interesting. That was a great episode, or a great sketch. They also don't bring back Dr. Scratch and Sniff until like the very last episode, uh, which I didn't even think that the episode he was in was that funny, but I'm just wondering what the why they made that decision. Uh, Dr. Scratch and Sniff is played by Rob Paulson, so the actor is already there and he's already available. Uh, I don't know if that has something to do with Rob Paulson's voice. I don't know if it's because, like, his voice can't handle doing the Dr. Scratch and Sniff accent now. I don't know if they just thought it wasn't a good enough character to bring back. But he's a really important character in the original series. They chose to cut Hello Nurse, uh, I think for obvious reasons. The whole point of her character was that she was just very sexy and always ogled by uh, Yakko and Wacko. There's even a whole song that Wacko sings about how in love he is with Hello Nurse. 
And I guess in the, you know, post Me Too era where, you know, we're trying to get away from objectifying women in our shows, it does make sense to cut her. Uh, I honestly didn't really, like, miss her too much. I just thought that that was kind of worth mentioning. Uh, That was definitely a way that they chose to modernize this show. Uh, I don't think they say hello, nurse, uh, once in this new series. And then there are these two random segments with new characters that I think they're trying to test out. One of them can be found in the eighth episode. It's the final sketch in that episode called Starbox and Cindy. And it's basically about this alien who's like a little tiny toy-sized who was sent down to Earth with his colony and got separated from them and now is basically like the toy of this little girl. I actually thought that this segment was super cute. I kind of wish that they had done more of this. Um, It seems kind of odd for them to just have this one-off sketch that made it in. I think they're kind of testing it out for the second season to kind of see what the response is like before they incorporate it in more. I personally like this character. I like this idea. I want to see more of it so that I can really form an opinion on it, but I like where it's going. And then the last one is like the craziest, weirdest part of probably this entire reboot, and it's called The Incredible Gnome in People's Mouths. And it's basically about this guy who was like, transformed into an angry little gnome and he lives in people's mouths and like speaks for them uh, and basically like (laughs) like helps change their lives by like being their new mouthpiece it's it's exactly as strange as it sounds (laughs) honestly the concept is ridiculous and funny i don't think the execution was that funny uh but i would kind of like to see where it goes Uh, If I had to pick between the two, I think Starbucks and Cindy is uh, stronger. I think the Incredible Gnome in people's mouths is, like, a funny, like, it would work as a vignette almost, kind of like how they did uh, the Randy Beeman kid or Good Idea, Bad Idea. I think it works in, like, a little shorter segment, uh, but that that happened. (laughs) So, all in all, what do I think as a whole? Do I think that the Animaniacs 2020 reboot is watchable or unwatchable? (sighs) This was really, really hard to call for me. I think it's clear from this review that there's some elements that worked really well and some that just did not work at all. I will say, I think because this series has been renewed for a second season, it's highly probable that... They'll come back with the second season having kind of, you know, heard some of the criticisms, kind of seen how these new characters play, and that they'll come back with a second season that's even better than this one. Uh, I think that's highly probable. I I would expect that the second season is going to go a lot smoother. Oh god, um, okay. Gun to my head, if I had to say one thing... Ah, shoot. It's so hard for me. Okay, I'm gonna say the Pinky and the Brain segments are very watchable. However, based off of the segments with the Warner siblings that take up a majority of every episode, I would have to deem those mainly 
unwatchable. Uh, I felt that the ones that were good were good, but mainly they were either boring, uh, not worth mentioning, or just so cringy and bad that they kind of leave a sour taste in your mouth for the rest of the series. So I guess I'd have to say 50-50. I'm kind of half and half on this. It's almost like two shows combined into one. I think that Pinky and the Brain is exceptionally great, uh, especially for a reboot. 10 out of 10. But I would have to say the Warner segments of the show are overall unwatchable. And if you are a true fan of the original series, I think even though the characters look the same, sound the same, uh, generally have the same personalities, you're going to be put off by the premise of most of their sketches. I personally love the moments where we see the Warner siblings as kids. I think that was really brought out when we got to see them with Dr. Scratch and Sniff, in episodes where he was kind of playing the parental figure, in episodes like Taming of the Screwy, or Ups and Downs when he gets trapped in the elevator with Wacko. Those are the episodes that are really near and dear to my heart, and I don't think you're getting as many of them in this reboot, because, you know, we're seeing the inside of their home, and, you know, we're seeing almost what feels like more of like a sitcom of just the three Warner siblings, but... When we go outside of the water tower and we see them interacting with people uh, like the Olympiad or the Hunter or the Fox News anchor, I think you're kind of losing that element of childlike innocence because their motivation isn't that they're, you know, children who are getting back on someone who did them wrong. The motivation is just to be obnoxious and rude. And I think that that leaves out an important layer of their characterization that made it kind of fall flat to me. I'm a little bit disappointed, but I expected as much, if I'm being fully honest. I did kind of like that there was less, like, old-time Hollywood pop culture references, because I just don't think that that works as much now. And I did want to give a shout-out to writers Wellesley Wilde, Kathleen Chen, and Brian Polk, because these seem to be the writers who were credited for most of the episodes that I truly, truly enjoyed. I think if you are Animaniacs obsessed like I am, you're going to miss those old characters, and you're going to miss the innocence of the Warner siblings. I would maybe advise that you sit this one out, or perhaps just watch the Pinky and the Brain episodes, I would have really liked if they had just brought back Pinky and the Brain as a reboot. I mean, Pinky and the Brain had its own standalone spin-off series. I don't see why they couldn't have done that now. It really, really, really pains me to say this because Pinky and the Brain is so good. But this Animaniacs reboot was, by and large, unwatchable. I will definitely watch the second season because I just have a feeling that it's going to be better. But if you want my advice, you don't really need to watch past the first episode, especially if you want to keep in your mind what this show once was. I think if you're a big fan, you're just ultimately going to end up disappointed. Uh, If you're not somebody who has followed this series since childhood, then you might actually enjoy it a little bit more. But for someone like me, who has 
watched Animaniacs their whole life, this just left a little bit to be desired, and I just can't put my stamp of endorsement on it in good conscience. I hope that this review was helpful for you guys. I hope I didn't spoil too much. I'm really interested to hear what you guys think. If you guys have watched the reboot, I want to know if you agree with me. Do you think I'm being a little bit too harsh? Do you think I wasn't harsh enough? Please let me know. Please comment. Uh, give me your review of the show. I would really love to hear what the overall consensus is because as far as I can tell, this series has gotten pretty mixed reviews and obviously this review was a little bit all over the place as well. Be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at Unwatchable with Chloe Rodriguez. Be sure to follow my personal Instagram at Cuckoo for Cloclo Puffs. Leave a five-star rating and a fabulous review, or just a, a middle-of-the-road review, or a bad review. Just any review. I'd love to hear it. Um, and I will see you guys next time on Unwatchable. Bye!